0: okay. Uh, Good evening everyone. My name is David. If I haven't met you before, it's nice to uh, see you a little bit closer to the front than the 9 o'clockers and the 10.15 service. I feel I have a little bit of eye contact with you, so that's nice. I first came to uh, Ashfield Presbyterian in 2001 when I was studying at SNBC, and um, I uh, met uh, my wife Liz, uh, who was studying there, but she was involved here. And uh, I never really came to the evening service or the 10.15 service. I was always involved with the 9 o'clock service. So the first time I came to the evening service a few years later I was known as the bloke that married Liz. Everybody knew Liz and uh, nobody knew who I was. Uh, But my real name is David if I haven't met you before and it's good to be back here tonight. Well we're looking at uh, John chapter 3 and if you keep your Bibles open there, John chapter 3, we're going to uh, look at that passage uh, together tonight. Um, My wife and I are serving overseas and uh, we come back every three or four years Uh, So it's good to be back again uh, tonight. Uh, Let me pray for us as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, you have made us and formed us. By your spirit give us understanding to learn from your word today. And give us open hearts to be obedient to what we understand to be true from your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for the last 10 years since I left Ashfield, my wife and I have been living in Asia. And Asia is a honour-shame culture. That is where life tends to be controlled by a community expectation where you uh, try to gain honour and avoid shame at all costs. It's common in Arab and Asian societies and it's uh, a little bit different from uh, animistic cultures which is controlled by the spirits trying to gain power and to try to uh, avoid fear. Um, that's common in African uh, cultures. And different again from our own uh, traditional Western culture here in Australia, uh, which we could call an um, a innocent guilt culture, where individual conscience uh, is c- uh, controls the way we think, and we try to maintain innocence uh, in the face of guilt. But certainly living in, in a, on a same culture has given me a unique experience. Uh, my nine-year-old son, uh, Micah, he was actually uh, spent four years in a local schooling system, and um, each day the children are given tests. They drive their kids pretty hard over there and each day they uh, give them uh, tests and um, whether it's maths or spelling or uh, reciting ancient poetry, but um, sometimes a combination of all three of those. Um, but uh, at the end of each day, the teachers get the children who are actually scored 100%. They get them to come up to the front here and then they take a photo. Then what do they do with the photo? They put it on their app, the equivalent of Facebook, and send it out on the group app, of course, not the individual one. So everybody, all the parents, all the grandparents, everybody knows who got 100%. So before the kids were picked up for school, of course, the parents knew if his kid or her kid got 100%. And of course it's was very happy if you did. If you didn't, there was a stern talking to or certainly as my wife saw, a bit of a spanking on the way home or perhaps um, not to mention the thrashing they would get when they got home behind closed doors. And my son, Micah, he he worked hard, two hours of homework a day plus an hour of tutoring. they worked him hard and uh, like all the children he wanted, he wanted to get in that photo at the end of the day. He wanted to be there. Now he came home with lots of 70s and 80s and sometimes 90, which I was always happy with, because that was a lot better than I did when I was at school, so I thought that was pretty good. And sometimes he even came home with a 98 or a 99. So close. It almost killed him because he was so close but still so far away. Now one time, one afternoon, we happened to have a look at our photo on the phone and couldn't believe it. There he was, big smiling foreign kid in amongst all the Asian smiles and there he was We thought there must have been some mistake what's he doing there now he managed to get uh, all his spelling tests correct and he couldn't believe it himself, he was ecstatic, I guess we could say he had conquered the Mount Midori armour of the classroom if you want to put it like that, for the one and only time he had the honour of being in that photo Now certainly uh, honour and shame is not something that we tend to talk about in Australian culture. Um, Maybe it's a little bit there under the surface perhaps. Um, There's the honour boards that we have at schools, the wooden boards, and it's got the kids' names on it, the Duxes and the school captains. Then there's um, the sports clubs, the the people who have achieved great things as athletes, and then sometimes at the RSL pubs as well. We've got the honour boards of the, the fallen soldiers and uh, even at the back of the church here there's an, an honour board there for people from this parish who have given their lives for our country. Uh, and then we have Australia Day honours of course uh, and uh, for those who've made significant contributions. And as a nation we held a bit of a collective sense of shame. When uh, at the beginning of this year when our cricketers got busted cheating in South Africa. It's pretty embarrassing in terms of the way they were cheating, but there's a little bit of an innocent guilt kind of thing going on, but there was a sort of a collective sense of shame that they did it with, in such an a, uh, embarrassing kind of way. And of certainly uh, sometimes the media likes to shame us, Christians, uh, people who don't conform to their opinions, uh, and uh, we, can, we can be on the receiving end of that sometimes. But what about, uh, what about Jesus? If Jesus lived in Australia, uh, would we give him the order of Australia? Um, now generally Christians don't tend to get very good press here in Australia, particularly in the last few years, so of course Jesus probably wouldn't even get an honourable mention. But why do Christians honour Jesus? Why do we honour Jesus? And is Jesus really worth our honour? Now among the many people Jesus met in his lifetime uh, all the, the, the characters we learn in primary school and Sunday school Mary and Joseph, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, all those big names and uh, the nameless one, the rich young ruler and the like one of the most famous is of course the great JB uh, John the Baptist and as um, somebody said before John the Presbyterian no it's not John the Presbyterian, it's John the Baptist what's the first thing you think of? When you hear the word John the Baptist. Just think about that for a moment. Uh, Off the top of my head, the first thing I think of, two things. One, he baptised Jesus. And two, got his head chopped off in prison. Very graphic uh, description there. Now a lot of things, other things happened to John of course. And uh, we're looking at a story between that's wedged between those two events, the baptism and then when John got his head chopped off in prison. Now, this particular passage comes after the nighttime rendezvous that Jesus had with Nicodemus, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 22 there when he says this. He went out, that is Jesus, with his disciples into the countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now, John was also, also was baptising at Anon near Salem, Uh, because there was plenty of water, good place to baptise where there's plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. Now John's disciples noticed something intriguing. They noticed something intriguing about Jesus and they reported it to John in verse 26. Have a look there. They came to John and they said to him, verse 26, Rabbi, uh, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone, everyone is going to him. Slight exaggeration, but it feels like that everyone is going to him. That man that you testified about, uh, they're referring to back to what John had said about Jesus back in chapter 1 when he said, look, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. That man, that's the one they're talking about, And at the beginning of chapter 4, it appears that someone has been counting the numbers and hinting at that and they've become a little bit disgruntled that Jesus is uh, becoming more popular than their own leader, John the Baptist. So I guess if you take an opinion poll, we're very good at taking opinion polls here in Australia and uh, opinion poll, certainly John the Baptist is clearly losing ground in a two horse race, he's losing ground to Jesus. So how does John the Baptist respond to this loss of honour, this loss of popularity? Will he take it lying down? To this John replied in verse 27. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. The word from heaven here is referring to God and uh, the first thing that John does is correct any sense of competition by acknowledging everything is a divine gift from God. Now there were a lot of things that John knew about Jesus. There There's a lot of things that he didn't know. But one thing he did know about himself was what he wasn't. One thing he did know about himself was what he wasn't. Look at verse 28 there. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. He was reiterating what he had already said back in chapter 1 verse 20 when he said I am not the Christ, I am not the Messiah I am not the chosen one. Now John of course knew his place. He knew his place in God's grand design and his ambition was to fulfil God's purpose for his life as the one who introduces Jesus to centre stage. Introduces him to centre stage and then he exits stage right, You're right. Uh, and disappears to play uh, second fiddle if you like if you want to use a music uh, term, musical term there and it's a little bit like uh, a best man at a wedding look at the language he uses in 29 the bride belongs to the bridegroom the friend which is another way of saying best man who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine and it is now complete Now, I'm sure there's enough among you that have probably been to a few weddings over the years, maybe even some weddings here in this building. Even some of you got married here. I know there's at least one couple that got married here. Yes, anybody else? Okay, all right, we've got a couple here. Yes, and uh, now I used to photograph weddings as part of my job to help me get through college and so I photographed a few weddings here and some all over Sydney, about 120 all up. And uh, one thing that was always useful for me as the photographer uh, on the wedding day was to get on well with the best man. Uh, because throughout the day, if I needed to chase anything up or to get the eye, uh, the ears and uh, of the ear of the bride and groom, then the best man—he was the go-to man. If he was doing his job properly, then the couple was oblivious to all the dramas going on behind the scenes. And there's plenty of dramas, I can tell you. We get to see what goes on behind the scenes as the photographer and there's a lot of family dramas and all sorts of things happening behind the scenes that we try to keep out of sight of the bride and groom. Now, the best man has to get the, the, the first of all, he's got to get the, the, uh, the bloke through the Bucks night, okay, to survive the Bucks night to get through unscathed. And he's got to get him to the location on time. And then he's got to get him, calm his nerves down the front here, calm him down, it's okay, she's coming, she's late, she's going to get here. And then he's got to make sure that he's, he's got the rings, oh, the rings, yes, and then he takes the rings and then he's got to chase up, the hardest job of all, chase up all those relatives, all those group photos. Now there's Uncle Jim, where's Uncle Jim? Can you go, where's Uncle Jim gone? There's always an Uncle Jim somewhere having a cigarette out the back or chatting up the bridesmaids or something. He's got a best man's got to go and chase up all those Uncle Jim's or Aunt Rosemary's or whatever the case is. And then he's got to get him through the speeches and then he's got to get him through the rest of the night. So if it went off without a hitch, the groom's joy was his to share. Now if you didn't notice the best man he had done his job properly, because the focus was not on him. In a similar way, the purpose of John's ministry was to elevate the Lord Jesus and point people to, him, uh, to point people to him and not to himself. And as the ministry of Jesus becomes more prominent, it was a sign that John's ministry was drawing to a close, a bit like the disappearing stars in the night sky as the sun begins to rise. And that's why the last words of John the Baptist as recorded in this Gospel are so apt when he says there in verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. John knew it was his job to honour Jesus above himself. And as we travel through this journey of life that we all have, we're all tempted to seek honour for ourselves trying to make a name for ourselves in ministry and, or whatever the case is. It's a challenge to think about whose honour is our first priority. But as we think about John, what is the reason John honoured Jesus above himself? Why did John honour Jesus above himself and why should we? Is Jesus really worth our honour? Let's have a look at verse 31 there. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. Now there is some uncertainty in the text here about where John the Baptist's words end and where the author's words start in this particular gospel but either way the logical implication of John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus is very clear. John honoured Jesus because he knew that Jesus not only receives from heaven But in contrast to John, Jesus is from heaven. He has heavenly origins and hence the logic of verse 31 there. You can see verse 31, the one who comes from heaven is above all. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So why did John honour Jesus above himself? Because he knew where he came from. Jesus comes from heaven and is above all. But if Jesus does come from heaven, why do we need to sit up and take notice? Why should we pay attention? What does he bring to the table, so to speak? Well, there's a lot of things he does bring and let's focus on two things in particular as we go through the rest of these verses here. In verse 32, let's pick it up there. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God gives the spirit without limit. To receive the words of Jesus is to receive the very words of God. Now in the past God gave his spirit in measured amounts to the prophets but because Jesus receives it without measure he is more than just head and shoulders above the rest of the prophets He's in a league of his own. And in the past God spoke to our forefathers in, uh, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Now my wife and I, we left Australia in, when John Howard was Prime Minister. Now that's a long time ago. A long time now, there's been... Five Prime Ministers in ten years. Now that's a bit of a crazy time. Every time we come back we feel like there's a new Prime Minister here. But uh, it was also when uh, George W. Bush was President in the US and the time we've been away, President Obama, he's come and gone. And now good old Donald, he played his trump card and he entered into the White House and he's elected President of the US. Now when I think of good old Donald, I think among other things is what he's famous for. That phrase that comes to mind, two words, do you know what it is? Uh, Close. (laughs) Fake news, fake news. That's fake news. Every time people say something that he doesn't like or he's not sure, that's fake news. You can see his face and his finger pointing. With the internet age, of course, it seems harder to know the difference between what is truth and what is fake and what's not. It's quite hard to work that out. But uh, when we think of the words of Jesus, they are not fake news. They are not made up. They are from a reputable source. They can be trusted. And in our Australian context, the words of Jesus are increasingly being dishonoured. That was a bit of a challenge for me last weekend in my 30-year high school reunion in Wollongong. I grew up in Wollongong last Saturday night. Now at school I was one of only a handful of students who were openly Christians. And uh, as we caught up with each other after 30 years of those hazy school days, I listened to all my different school friends that I used to hang out with. I listened to them try to bring honour to themselves by talking about all that they've achieved, all their positions they have now, the roles, try to up their status a little bit. It was tempting for me to do the same, to talk about myself with no reference to the influence of Jesus in my life. But in the reality, I've spent the last 30 years trying to work it out. Trying to work out what it means to live a life that honours the words of Jesus. And just like it was at school, for some it was a source of ridicule and mocking. As I shared about my own 30 years. It saddened me, but I was not surprised. That those students who mocked Jesus all those years ago continued to do that 30 years later. But in that moment I needed to remember that what I believe in, what I've stood for for the last 30 years is not fake news. The next time that you get mocked in your family, ridiculed at work or scoffed at in the community for honouring the words of Jesus above all, let us all remember that what you stand for, what we stand for, what we live for, what we honour in our lives is not fake news. Now Jesus not only brings words from above but he also brings access, access to eternal life. Look at verse 35 and 36 there. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Now one of the great themes in the Gospel of John is the dependence of the Son on the Father uh, in perfect unity, uh, the perfect unity they have in love and respect. This means that people can come to Jesus directly for eternal life. Because he has the full authority of the Father himself. Yes. All things have been placed in his hands, including access to eternal life. Now the day that my son Michael got 100% in the exam, he was very excited, but his excitement didn't last for very long because the teacher made him walk around with his exam paper and show it to all the kids in the class who the teacher thought was doing badly and she said words to this effect, look look at this foreign kid he's an outsider, he doesn't belong here, he's not one of us, he doesn't speak our language and he can get 100% and you can't you can't get 100% and he can who are you? You're, you speak the language you're from this country You can't even get 100% like this foreign kid here. Micah's honour in that moment was used, misused by the teacher to shame his friends. And from that day he lost his best buddy at school. But we know that even though Jesus has the honour the ultimate honour. He does not use his honour to shame us. Although Jesus has the honour of being the only one to get 100% in the lifelong exam of obedience to the Father, he doesn't use his honour to shame us when we fall short. Whether we get 1% or 95% we all still fall short. None of us are 100% obedient to God. None of us would be in that photo at the end of the day. Except, of course, the Lord Jesus. However, even though he had the place of honour with his perfect life, he swapped his honour to take our place of shame under the wrath of God through his death on the cross. Through his resurrection from the dead, he invites all who believe in him to share in his honour in eternal life. Now there is a missiologist called David Williams from CMS who works down in Melbourne at the, the training centre for the organisation that I work for and he asserts that as well as the three traditional ways of understanding culture that I introduced at the beginning he, he, he believes Australia is moving towards another one what he describes as a pleasure-pain culture. Decisions are based on the mantra that if it feels good, do it. Why should you tell me otherwise? Often when someone suggests some form of boundary that's for the good of society, then we're quick to hear the criticism that we're in a nanny state. We're becoming a nanny state. Very cynical um, comment. Simply put, in a pleasure and pain culture, we seek pleasure and we avoid pain above all. Now, ironically, the only place where one is able to avoid pain ultimately is where Jesus has come to take us in the future. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Christians honour a generous and gracious God who loves the world so much that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. A life beyond this one that is perfect in pleasure and where pain is absent. If you're not a Christian tonight, perhaps today is the day to stop dishonouring Jesus but to turn to him and thank him for not using using his honour to shame us but to to save us. To thank him for dying in our place and to thank him that he reaches into our shame and invites us to enjoy the benefits of his honour that he shares with those who trust in him. I don't know where you stand with God, but perhaps the day, today is the day of day to turn back to him. But for those of us who do walk with Christ, and I know there are many Christians here tonight, I'm sure that we all grieve that there are loved ones in our lives who do not honour the Lord Jesus above all. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives maybe, brothers, sisters, colleagues, even old school friends. People who honour themselves more than they honour Christ. Do we grieve that we live in a world that doesn't know Jesus? A world that honours their own power above all. A world that tries to avoid guilt by dishonouring the words of Jesus. A world that embraces pleasure and in the process misses out on the one place where the avoidance of pain is promised. Not just here in Australia, or in the inner West, but around the world, throughout the world. Does our commitment to supporting the work of global mission reflect that truth? Does it grieve our heart that people all over the world don't honour the Lord Jesus? And certainly as we live in a world here in Sydney where the name of Jesus is dishonoured and Christians are mocked as irrational fools with destructive beliefs, messing up people's lives, particularly um, reported in the media, fake news, lie, let's be careful. Let's be careful of the temptation to avoid the pain by withdrawing and shrinking back from society. Let's be wary of the natural urge to make pleasure our priority by playing it safe with our Christian testimony. No, in all the brokenness and struggle that we have this side of heaven we need to engage the world to show that Jesus is not messing with our lives. no matter what situation our life is in right now. Let's continue to use what he has given us. Think about the context that he has put us in, the connections that we have, the places that God has put us in society. Let's use what he has given us in Christ, not to shame people and turn them away because they don't conform to our expectations or norms, but to live with words and actions that make Jesus look good. in a culture that continues to to disparage the Lord Jesus. Let's also be careful of the danger of seeking our own honor. If you're like me then you're probably tempted to, to seek honour in the eyes of your peers and your family rather than the honour of God when you have the opportunity to make a stand for Jesus. So perhaps I guess we could say that we belong to a fifth cultural category not necessarily honour and shame and fear and power or innocence and guilt or pleasure and pain. Perhaps we belong to a fifth cultural category, a culture where people are living lives that honour Jesus above all. A Christian culture. A culture that reflects the words of John the Baptist. He must become greater. I must become less. As we reflect on those words, the question we need to ask ourselves is whose honour do we seek? He must become greater. I must become less. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is above all because he comes from above and you have placed all things in his hands. Help us live a life that reflects our honour for you above all. Help us to avoid the temptation to seek honour for ourselves. Help us to avoid the temptation to shrink back and not engage society. To make Jesus look good in the way that we speak and in the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.